gathered around the table is uh, being is very important uh, to to our ministry. It's very important uh, here at Christ Legacy to recognize that we are all gathering around the table. But Thanksgiving is a time that we celebrate uh, gathering around the table, and and food is definitely number two on the list of of importance during this time of year. Because I mean the centerpiece, the turkey. Of course, you got the ham, uh, green bean casserole. Some by some uh, uh, macaroni and cheese. Am I making, am I making anybody's prayer list this morning? Uh, we got mashed potatoes and gravy and uh, pecan pie. Oh man. Uh, some of you just raised your hand for salvation. I saw that. I see those hands out there. And, and I'm so excited about this time of year, but, but it, but number one is not food. Number one is the relationships that, that you and I have the opportunity to, to make and to, to cultivate and to maintain. It's relationships that are our primary focus. And many of us, we, we have been to a few Thanksgivings in our life. Uh, and, and for some of us, we've actually seen reoccurring patterns in our time of Thanksgiving with our family members. And what I mean to say is, is that each one of us has um, uh, a few characters that come to our Thanksgiving. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and today, I, I want to tell you, I, I did a quick uh, internet, uh, some quick internet research, and from a few lists, I compiled the top 10 people at your Thanksgiving table. So I want, I want you guys to pay attention here because you might find yourself on this list, okay? I'm just saying. And if you're sitting next to the person that's on this list, I want you to give them a, a nudge. Just let them know that you got your eye on them, okay? So number 10, the new boo, okay? The new boo. This is someone's new boyfriend or girlfriend meeting the family for the very first time. We've all kind of been in that situation before, and uh, yeah, the new boo. Okay, uh, number nine, the know-it-all. The know-it-all. Yeah, this person turns everything at the Thanksgiving uh, table into some kind of intellectual conversation and makes them, uh, uh, anything that somebody says, they, they kind of have a tendency to counter that with, uh, with something about pop culture or uh, a theology or psychology or, or whatever it is. It's just uh, politics. Oh my goodness, politics. Uh, that's the know-it-all. But then uh, I, I think there's a few of you in here that, that are this next one. This next one is the overachiever, okay? The overachiever. This is the person that has been offered by everybody that is attending Thanksgiving to bring some kind of side or some kind of dish, but you say, no, I've got it. I've got it. You're going to make every little thing, and you've already started making stuff. It's all right there in the fridge. You've already made mashed potatoes. You're the overachiever. Okay. Uh, then there's the football fan. Any football fans in here? Yeah, okay. Everything about the Thanksgiving day has been planned around the game or the commercials. Okay? You say, don't talk to me. The game's on. And then whenever the commercial comes on, you say, don't talk to me. The commercial's on. Right? That's, that's the football fan. Um, then there's the overeaters, okay? Now, it doesn't matter how big you are, you can be an overeater because the overeaters are the people that haven't actually started eating until they're on the third plate. 
and I'm so proud of you and I <laughs> because we're not quitters like the rest of y'all. We're just going to sit there and maintain. Okay. Then there's the leftover bandits. Any leftover bandits? You show up to Thanksgiving and you've already brought your own takeout or take-home bags. You know, you got your stack of empty Tupperware in your car and you pull up and you tell the kids in the back, make sure you get that Tupperware, bring it in here. Yeah. <clears throat> then uh, there's the latecomer. All right? We all know this, this person, the latecomer. This is the person that you told everybody to show up at 2, and uh, you told this person to show up at 1, and they show up at 2.30. Y'all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> raise your hand if that's you. It's all right. They'll raise their hand in about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's some of y'all. Then you got the picky eater. All right, y'all know who these are, the picky eaters, right? They can only eat one or two things on the Thanksgiving table. They're, they decided to do gluten-free this year for some strange reason. Like three days before Thanksgiving started, they got on a kick. And, uh, and maybe they even brought their own food, right? Y'all just sit there and enjoy. I'm just going to eat my salad with my special dressing I made, all right? Y'all know the picky eaters. Okay. Uh, my kids may be even picky eaters. It's, if it's not chicken nuggets, it's not on the dinner table. And then there's the uh, shopaholics. Shopaholics. Y'all are a strange bunch. I'm just going to say that right now. You like have a tendency to want to leave the Thanksgiving table so that you can get an early start on the Black Friday shopping, even though the rest of the world is enjoying shopping in their pajamas on their couch, you still say, I still got to get to that store because I want to lay my hands on it. That's weird. Okay. Then, finally, number one, the knockout. Okay, the knockout. These are the folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even read it. You know who you are, I guess. They plan on getting the best seat on the couch so that they can fall asleep very quickly. And every once in a while, you poke them and they kind of moan and they say, Can you pass me the pecan pie? They eat the pecan pie, then they fall back asleep to the, to the game. I love you guys. You're, you're my cousins, but I am the overeater. I. The, the truth is, is that there's going to be somebody like this at your Thanksgiving party. And if I didn't call your name out, if this is not you, maybe you're a combination of all these folks. But it's so funny because we can see this recurring trait with, within our family. And, and, and maybe every year you kind of you hit or you kind of miss, you swap around. But today as we talk about gathering at the Lord's table... I want to introduce to you some of, the, some of the people that actually did gather around the Lord's table. These people gathered around the Lord's table when it was the Last Supper, and I'm not going to highlight everybody, but I will highlight some, some pretty interesting personalities. And as I do, just maybe, just maybe you might see yourself in some of these. First of all, I want, to, I want to talk to you about Matthew. Matthew is this amazing person because, as many of you know, Matthew is one of the disciples of Jesus, and Matthew was the, um, is the first book of, of the New Testament. And as you read... What's up, Matthew? Yeah. 
As you read out of the New Testament, you're going to discover that that although Matthew is listed as the first book of the New Testament, we don't really know that much about Matthew. He's only he's only mentioned four or five times in the New Testament, and the first two times that he's mentioned in the list of the disciples, he's actually number seven. Okay, I mean he's not he's not really well known. He. The second two times he's listed, he's actually listed in the eighth place. You need to know this about lists before we begin or before we move forward. Is that lists are really important in scripture, especially the the order that of lists, because that kind of designates priority with many people. But Matthew isn't isn't known a whole lot about, but we do know a few important things about Matthew. Matthew, uh, he's a Jew. And he's a tax collector. This is, this is pretty bad, okay? Because the Roman Empire took, um, took over the region. And the Roman Empire enforced their own taxes. Now, a poll tax was taken by the, by the Romans, but, but uh, uh, transportation tax, they selected people within those regions to collect those taxes, and so what tax collectors were, they were middlemen that they found in those regions. And in this particular region, it was Capernaum. And uh, he worked for Herod Antipas. And um, in this region, he paid a, an advance fee for the right, exclusive right, to be able to collect taxes from his area. Um, now, here's how he made his money, unfortunately. Rome charged uh, a certain fee, and then he would turn around, and he would pay that, and he would turn around, and he would begin to collect taxes from his area, but he would add additional fees on top of that, uh, and then charge those people, his fellow Jews. And as you can imagine, they didn't take it very well. Just kind of like we don't take it very well when we're taxed and taxed and taxed and taxed. But you can imagine them because, because here the invading force, the, 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 the force that took over the area was charging a tax and they charged on top of it. And that's how they made their living. You know, and, and it would have been bad enough if it was just like a 1% increase or something just to get by. But these people actually live exorbitant lives. Because they, in the Bible, were viewed not just as tax collectors. They were in the same list as thieves and robbers and murderers and harlots. Bad mamma jamma. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and he, he would just go around and charge in these people, and they were filled with bitterness and resentment because of him. But what was different? What was so different about Matthew than everybody else? See, Matthew was invited to the Lord's table that night. One day, whenever Jesus was walking by, he, he saw a tax collector, Matthew, and he just said, come follow me. Here's the difference. The Bible doesn't tell us there was a conversation. It wasn't a question. There wasn't anything about it. He was just like, he just got up and followed after him. The invitation, and he was accepted. Boom. And the Bible tells us just a few days later, Matthew, that same tax collector, he was now a disciple of Christ, and he threw a lavish banquet at his house. And he invited Jesus and the disciples. Jesus is the guest of honor. 
And he invited other tax collectors and other sinners from the area. And they had a beautiful banquet right there in front of everybody for all to see. And Jesus, he came and he joined them. And he ate and he fellowshiped and he talked and he probably laughed and he enjoyed the time with Matthew because Matthew made a life-changing decision to follow after him. But a lot of people didn't appreciate that about Matthew at that time, you see, because they recognized something about Matthew. See, Matthew's name means the gift of God or the gift of the Lord. Even though Matthew was a gift of the Lord, he enjoyed taking other people's gifts, right? But they noticed a difference, a, a change that Jesus would now associate with sinners, tax collectors, all these disreputable people. We're going to see what Jesus' response is. This is our Lord's response to being around this type of person. When Jesus heard this, Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, 13, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Now I'm going to pause right here. He's talking to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And Jesus the great rabbi turns to them and says, you, you learn something now. You figure something out. You've got to disconnect. Learn the meaning of this. He says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Man, I am so grateful that our Lord called sinners to come fellowship, to come eat, to come and dine. Because you see, Jesus here gives them a rabbinical formula that's found in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, that tells us that God values loyalty over the sacrificial system. In other words, it's not about, it's not about all this, this regulation. It's about relationship. It's not about the law. It's about the love. And that's what Jesus came to display for all to see. I'm so glad that Jesus, Jesus tarnished his, relation, or his reputation so that he could have a relationship with you and I. He went to places that he wasn't supposed to go to. He talked to people he wasn't supposed to talk to so that they could meet the healer. See, because as it, as it turns out, if you're going to be a healer, you got to be willing to touch the untouchable, the unclean. How many, of you are, how many of you are glad that Jesus touched somebody that was unclean this morning? I mean, we have a song in our tradition. It's an old song, but maybe some of you know it. It, it says, shackled by a heavy burden, neath the load of guilt and shame. Y'all remember that song? Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I will no longer be the same. Is that just a song for us? Is that just something that we used to sing? Or does that really mean something down deep in our hearts that Jesus touched you? He changed your life. And now you used to be one way and now you are completely different from the inside out. 
Matthew is still Matthew, but there's something different about Matthew. Now he sits at the master's table. Now he's in relationship with the master. No longer, no longer did he take up taxes, but now he's given it all back in double portions, blessing people and following after Christ. That's the kind of Matthew that the kind of Jesus that we serve makes. I'm so grateful that Matthew sits at the communion table because Matthew reminds us that Jesus welcomes sinners. Jesus welcomed the unclean. Jesus welcomed the outcasts, the outsiders, those that nobody got along with because of what they were doing. Jesus said, you're welcome at the table. But then there's some other personalities that were welcome at the table too. I mean, uh, who, can, who can relate to Simon Peter? Uh, I mean, you know the old adage, right? Uh, don't trust a man with two first names. I mean, Simon Peter. Uh, I, I don't know about this guy, but... Uh, Hey, what's up, Simon? How you doing, bro? Great. It's good to see you. See, Simon Peter was one of the first apostles taken in by Jesus. You see, Simon had this, um, this amazing, beautiful personality I, I relate to a lot. He was a fisherman along with his brother Andrew uh, in the northern shore of Capernaum. See, there's a possibility that even Simon was in relation with uh, James and, and John because they were fishermen in the same industry in the same region together. And, and, and Peter, we, we actually see that he was married in Scripture. And we know this from a, just a little line that the, the Bible tells us. It, it says that, uh, that Peter's mom or excuse me, Peter's mother-in-law was healed by Jesus in the scripture. And we're, we're, the Bible doesn't indicate whether Peter was happy about this. Um, some of y'all got that. But the Bible does tell us that his mom was healed. And the Bible even says that, that Peter took his wife along with him to some of his, some of his mission work around in the region. But one of the most important things that we can understand about Peter is that, that, uh, that Peter had this huge personality. He, in all of the lists that were listed of all the apostles, Peter's name was always at the top of the list. He had this amazing personality that was just headstrong and out in front, and he was the apostle spokesperson, the disciple spoke, uh, spokesperson. He was willing to jump out and, and do a whole bunch of things. And his brother is actually the one that brought him to Jesus, introduced him to Jesus. Because scripture tells us that Peter and Andrew, Andrew was his brother, were probably disciples of John the Baptist. And, and Andrew, being a disciple of John the Baptist, saw Jesus and heard John say that and, and brought his brother all the way over to Peter and said, hey, Peter, you need to meet this guy he is the Messiah, the one that was promised to us. And so Andrew already recognized him, uh, Jesus as the Messiah. These, these people would go on to become some of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, James, and John. Three of the four brothers, really. And 
And what's amazing about his personality is that he was always ready to, to throw down. He was always ready to, to be in the front. He was always ready to, to, to charge the hill. And his personality put him in positions that he was ready to walk on water. Jesus, if that's really you, bid me come out to the water so that I might walk with you. And so he was bid out to the water, and he was the one that was walking on water. By faith, he watched Jesus, and he walked on water. That, that's amazing. Dude, pretty good. But then he was also brave enough to ask very difficult and awkward questions like, listen, Jesus, um, okay, so if somebody is saved, right, but then they, they hurt you, how many times do I have to forgive them before I could get, get to cancel them? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's Peter too. You like the faith, but you got to take the other stuff with Peter. I mean, that kind of personality put him in positions where he got to witness all sorts of things. He, he witnessed Christ raise somebody from the dead. He, he witnessed Jesus transfigured. And he was also there with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and watched the agony that he went through. Because of his personality, because he was always headstrong and always first, he was the first that recognized Jesus as Lord. Not just teacher, not just master, but Lord. And that's whenever Jesus gave him a different name, Peter. He grew up as Simon, but he gave him a different name, Peter. Uh, there's another word for it, Cephas, right? But both mean rock. Which is kind of interesting to me because whenever you look at his personality, although he's out there, although he's first, although he's big, although he's in front, although he's always got something to say, we find out really that his personality isn't really much like a rock. See, he was one of the guys that Jesus said to um, Peter and John. He said, hey, you guys go out there ahead of us and, and start preparing the supper for Passover. Little did they know it would be the Jesus's last meal. He was intimate with Christ. He was close to him. He was passionate about him. But, but we find out later in scripture that even though all of this is true, he failed him, didn't he? he he's the guy that denied Jesus three times. And on the last time, he even cursed whenever he denied him. He's the guy that ran away from Jesus whenever he was being beaten. He's the guy that after Jesus, just like two verses after Jesus called him a rock, Jesus also said, get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling stone to me. Right? How is Peter the rock? Maybe, just maybe. Maybe that Christ named him the rock, not because of what he was, but because of what he was turning him into. Maybe, just maybe, Christ had a different plan for his life than who he really was. I wonder if there's anybody in this place that has loved the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind, and strength. They're passionate about Him. Maybe you've taught Sunday school. You've done all this work for Him. You've filled your life with who He is, and you're headstrong about it. But sometimes, maybe even the most important times, 
you've stumbled, you've fallen, you come short. You, you didn't do what you're supposed to. You didn't listen to the Lord whenever he spoke to you. You denied him. You fell time and time again, even though you meant well, you, you messed up. And here we are, still invited to the Lord's table. I, I wonder if there, there's somebody in this place that, that loves the Lord, but sometimes is gripped with guilt and shame over their failures and their falling. I want you to know that when we are gripped with that, we have to remind ourselves that his invitation to the Lord's table still stands. Somebody say amen. We see fallen saints are still invited to the table to come and fellowship, to gain forgiveness and redemption from him. But then there's other people like John. J John, is, um, John is really an interesting person. His name means the Lord is gracious. And, uh, well, hey, what's up, John? <laughs> you see, John is invited to the table. He was one of the ones that prepared the, the Lord's table with Peter. And John was the son of Zebedee. He's a brother of James. But before um, all of the disciple stuff, he was a fisherman out in the Capernaum area, northern shore of Galilee. And um, we, we kind of have this feeling that John is uh, the younger brother because he's also always mentioned second between James and John. He's the second, so he's probably the younger brother of the two. And there's another interesting point to make. I think that this bears um, uh, some, some interest in our discussion because we find out that, that, um, that John and James's mother is Salome, most likely. And most likely Salome is actually sisters to Mary, the mother of Jesus, which makes Jesus, James, and John probably first cousins. Which, if they're the first cousins, then we can probably guess why it was so easy for James and John's mother to approach Jesus and say, hey, uh, listen, Jesus, I have a favor to ask you. Uh, you know my sons, James and John, sure you do. Um, would you mind uh, whenever you get to heaven and you're sitting on, you know, the, the throne that you're, you, you're going to sit on, would you put James and John to the to left and to your right? You choose which side, I don't care, just as long as they sit by your side. That's pretty forward. And now we kind of figure out that the aunt is trying to lean her reputation or her relationship on Jesus and try to, but he says, woman, you don't even know what you're asking about. That's crazy. You remember the big old fight that the, that the disciples had with, with, uh, with each other about who is greatest in heaven? Yeah. John right over here, he, I think John really thought that he was going to be the greatest in heaven. I mean, he had this reputation of, of thinking that he was bigger and badder than he actually was. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave James and John a nickname. Some of you guys probably know it. It's sons of what? Sons of thunder. That's right. Why sons of thunder? Because, well, this is not really one of those good nicknames. This is kind of an embarrassing nickname, but they kind of learned to live with it. Sons of thunder, because one time whenever Jesus and the disciples were going through Samaria and, and, and the Samaritans didn't accept Jesus, right, and his witness, James and John are so angry at the Samaritans that they said, Jesus, 
just let us pray down fire like Elijah did and just pop, take him. Amen. We ought to do that right now. Let's just, let's just ask the Lord to consume them with fire. Woo, glory. And, and Jesus, he corrected them. <laughs> but you see this transformation in John's life because even though John was that guy that wanted to be sitting next to Jesus in heaven, and we see that John, even though John was that guy that, that wanted to pray down fire and kill everybody, and even though he was so headstrong, we find out that, that there was a huge change in who he was. You know, the same guy that, that wanted to call down fire on Samaritans is the same guy later on, after the infilling of the Holy Spirit, after Jesus was uh, ascended to heaven, was the same guy that when he found out the Samaritans had actually accepted Jesus' witness, him and Peter went over to Samaria to encourage them, to teach them, to, 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 to pray for them that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. The same guy that wanted to burn them alive is the guy that came and pastored that group of people. There was this change in John's heart and life I was filled with so much love and appreciation for what Jesus did that, that John is one of the only disciples that wrote his books much later in, in age. The other disciples were, were martyred for their faith. They probably tried to martyr John. As a matter of fact, church tradition tells us that they tried to lo uh, lower John in a, a vat of oil, boiling oil. And he was lowered in it but he wasn't even hurt by it. It was a miracle. He was exiled on the island of Patmos where he, he received a revelation. And as a matter of fact, even though he's written five books of the New Testament, he only identifies himself in the fifth book, in the book of Revelation. The, the other four, he identifies himself humbly as the disciple that Jesus loved. How can, you, how can you go from I'm sitting on Jesus' right-hand side to being so humble and saying, not even your name, but only referring to yourself in third person as the disciple that Jesus loved. Or later on, recognizing himself as John the elder or the pastor that loves the people. This is... This is the kind of transformation that took place in John's life. We, we see this because we, we find out that later on, even at the Lord's table, that John is actually so close in proximity to Jesus. We see that uh, uh, in John chapter 13, verse 23, he says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bo bosom one of his disciples whom he loved. That's out of the New King James Version. I love that because some, some uh, uh, versions just tell us that, oh yeah, he was sitting next to him. But really, the New King James Version captures it so well. He's leaning hard on Jesus. I love that because it demonstrates something that intimacy is not the means to the relationship. It's the result of the relationship. It's, that, it's not that we're trying to grow closer to the Lord just so that we can be close. Intimacy is a result of becoming close to Jesus. We all want to be close to Jesus, and we think that just being close to Jesus makes us intimate, but it's not true as we're about to find out because there's another person that we need to talk about. 
somebody else close to Jesus is Judas. Judas was close to Jesus, wasn't he? What's up, Jesus? No, you can walk around this way, sir. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> With a kiss? Oh. Oh, be still. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> I want you to understand something. Judas, even his name, is evil. It's synonymous with evil. And it has a lasting impact on who we are, even to this day. If you don't believe me, watch this. Anybody know a John? You better raise your hand. <laughs> Anybody know a Peter? Yeah. Anybody know a Matthew? Yeah. Anybody know a Judas? No. It's because your moms and dads didn't want you to grow up having a mentality or being associated with being a betrayer of Jesus. Can you imagine that? That so evil, so evil, but people don't even realize something is that there are two Judases, right, as disciples. That's why we know him as Judas Iscariot. Is because Judas Iscariot, it was Iscariot, it, it was, a, it, it, it was a, a display of where he actually came from, right? Karioth is where he came from, and Judas is actually one of the only disciples that wasn't from Galilee, the Galilean area. He's from Judah, a place in southern Judah called Karioth. That's why his name is Judas Iscariot. But it's interesting to point out the fact that his name and where he's from means praise. Judah and Judas means praise. How many people know that he might have been with Jesus? He might even praise Jesus. He probably talked all about him, how, he, how great he was, how wonderful he was. But really... His heart was far from him. He wasn't there. He was the treasure of the disciples. So he probably had some kind of important place, a dominant place among the disciples. He could say how much to spend and where to spend. And, and he, would, he would be at, at, the, at the end of the group as the group left and he would be the one paying the bill. He's that guy. But John, as he writes later on in life, he says that Judas, he was a thief. He would take money out of the purse and keep it for himself. He's the same guy that whenever the, the woman broke open the alabaster box and began to anoint Jesus, he said, y'all, that could have been off, that could have been sold to the poor and are sold and the money could have been given to the poor. You really think it was going to be made to the poor? No, th this guy, he wanted to sell the box and keep the money for himself. That's Judas. Nasty. Nasty. See, there are a lot of theories of why Judas, why you wanted to betray Jesus. Some think it was because of his propensity to, for, for the love of money. Maybe. 
other people have said that, that Judas, the gospel actually never found its way and rooted in his heart. And so he really never had a relationship with Christ. Even though he was around him and associated with him, he didn't have that relationship. I believe that. Sure. Some people say that Judas, he wanted to protect Jesus in some way. Maybe if he just handed him over to the authorities, maybe all the crowds and all this stuff that was getting out of hand day after day, he could kind of control within the legal system. And so he would manipulate like some kind of manager for Jesus. Maybe. But I think that there was a more human nature reason for this. You see, I think, I think that Judas was disappointed in Jesus. I think that, that Judas saw Jesus and recognized him as the Messiah and, and, and saw all the things that he was doing. And then they were welcomed into Jerusalem. I mean, it was like a celebration, the triumphal entry of Christ on the colt of a donkey, which is exactly what the tradition would have as welcoming a new king. Yet, even after all that festivity, Jesus started talking about death. How it was part of some kind of plan. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, don't, don't you start talking about death, Jesus. That, that's not the way to do this. See, see, what you're really supposed to be doing is you're supposed to be establishing yourself as the authority and, and ruling. And you know a lot about this theology stuff, but I know the politics of it. I'm going to help you. And there you have it. He kisses Jesus. Jesus is handed over to the authority and it all starts falling into his plan. But the problem is, is he quickly realized that his plan is off the rails and that he did something horrible. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21. Sitting at the table there, Jesus looked around at the feast that they had and the company that he kept. And he said, but here at this table, sitting among us as friends, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Isn't that interesting? Did you catch that? The disciples themselves didn't know who it was going to be. Is it me, Lord? Am I the one? Are you talking to me? All these questions begin to bubble up. Can you imagine the controversy there? Jesus looked around them. We find out something. Deep down inside, Judas knew it was him. John chapter 13, verse 2 tells us, It was time for supper. The devil had already prompted Judas 
son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Later on in that same chapter, we find out when the disciples said, is it me? Jesus says, verse 26, it is the one whom I give the bread I dip into the bowl. He takes a crust of bread and he dips it. Did somebody eat the butter already? <laughs> there it is. He dips it and he hands it over to Simon. Thanks. And the Bible tells us something quite incredible happened. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. Now you can stay right there. It's all right, because you're not Judas. I appreciate that. <laughs> but the idea, can you imagine? You see, in that moment, the unforgiveness, the resentment, the bitterness, the disappointment in Christ took over. And he stood up and he went to have his will and not Christ's will. I wonder if there's somebody in this place that has ever been disappointed in something that Jesus did for them. You prayed, you asked God, you, you prayed so hard and, and, and God did something in a way that wasn't the way that you were expecting. As a matter of fact, you were upset by it. God healed this person. They didn't get the healing. Lord, help, help me in my finances. You didn't get helped. Lord, I'm struggling in this moment. I feel like I'm going to break. And you felt like you broke. The truth of the matter is, is that we find out in Scripture that he never leaves us or forsakes us. He knows what you need even before you ask it. He can answer whatever you have greater than your imagination, but he has his own will. See, the Bible is very clear. Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I freely give it. You see, Peter says, Jesus, you can't go to the cross. I won't let you. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling stone to me. He was going to go to that cross. And Judas, he's in prime position. Satan enter, enters into him. And Jesus said, you go and do what you're going to do. Jesus had full control over that moment. He, he was betrayed by Judas, but it was part of his plan to gather people at the table. Something that you need to understand is that the awful truth is that we are not one or the other. We can be like all of them, even Judas, because we've all been disappointed at times. But the truth is, is that you and I have a responsibility to, de to determine within ourselves that it's not about our will. It's not, not about what we want. It's not about our expectation, but it's about Christ.
It's about his forgiveness. It's about his plan. It's about his broken body. It's about his blood. And you and I are invited to that table, but we have to go to that table for him and him alone, through him and by him and for him and because of him. There's no other way to receive the forgiveness and the redemption and the healing. There's no other way than through Christ, his broken body and his shed blood for you and I. That's the key to the intimacy of a relationship. That's the key to gathering at the table. Would you stand with me all, all over this place? As we prepare to go to the Lord's table, you'll find your elements there. If you've received elements at this time, Let's get them ready. If you haven't received elements, would you just simply raise your hand? We'll have some ushers make them available to you. I see some hands right over here and here and here. Ushers are on your way. As you're receiving those elements, I want to let you know that we are an open communion church. What does that mean? Well, if you've been listening to me today, then you'll recognize something that we believe that there is an open invitation to come to the Lord's table. And just as there were many personalities that were represented at the Last Supper, today there are many personalities represented here. Many pasts, some professional, some criminal, <laughs> all have the opportunity to be bought and washed and made new by the sacrifice of Jesus. So I invite you to join with us today as you make it ready. You'll take the bread in your hand, just as he did in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. It says, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks for it. Then he broke it into pieces. Would you break it with me? He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, as we take this body, I pray God that we would be healed Lord, we would be touched by you, the master. Lord, we love you. Amen. Let's take and eat. supper, he took another cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Each one of us has an invitation standing to be redeemed, blood-bought, washed, and made new. He said, as often as you drink of this, eat of this bread and drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Let's remember our invitation this morning. Heavenly Father, 
I pray, God, that there are people in this place, Lord, that are made new, that are cleansed, Lord, not just in their body, but in their spirit. Lord, that are adopted as heirs and co-heirs with Christ into the family of God and sit at the table with intimacy with you, Jesus. We love you. Let's take the Thank you, Jesus. Let's just have a moment of worship. Hallelujah. So I throw up my hands, praise you again and again. Is all that I have is a Today, if you join us here at Christ's Legacy, we're so grateful and thankful that you are invited to the table with Christ our Lord. We're thankful that, that we know that, that if you're a sinner, you can come into right relationship and be intimate with Christ Jesus for the first time in your life. We're thankful that even if you're uh, serving him and you love him and you walk around sometimes and you feel like you've blown it and you've missed it and you're, you're, you're all messed up inside, you're still welcome at the table. I'm thankful for all those that are faithful that have had a heart change and you're still living for him. The table is for you too. But there was one other that was invited to the table and it was Judas. And I'm thankful, not that Judas was betrayed, but I'm thankful that it reminds us that it's not about our will. It's not about our way. It's not about our ability to work out salvation for ourselves, but instead it's about him. If you're gathered here this, this morning, I wanna remind you that you can only come to the table through Jesus, by Jesus, and for Jesus. We have a lot to be thankful for this season, amen? amen? Who are you inviting to your table this Thanksgiving? Are you inviting somebody? Are you ministering to somebody? Are you loving on people? As a church, I wanna be the kind of church that tarnishes our reputation by inviting sinners like me to come into the house of the Lord. Join me in celebrating this season with a thankful heart and invite somebody to church. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for the table that you set before us. I pray, God, that our church, Lord, would be intimate with you, Lord, and our church would be in right relationship with you, Lord, and that our church would be active in our community, bringing people into your house and laying the table before them so that they have an opportunity, just like we do, to sit and be in relationship with you. We'll give you all the praise as you bless us going out. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you this Thanksgiving season.